welcome to Connected, episode 391. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Squarespace, Capital One, and Memberful. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm introducing my friend and co-host, Mr. Mike Hurley. Ciao, Stephen. How are you? Hello. I have the pleasure of introducing Federico Vatici to the show. Hello, Federico. Hello. It is my pleasure. So, uh, thank you. That's just where the pleasure ends. The pleasure ends with you. Okay, cool. Pleasure ends with Tichi. The pleasure stops here. That's what I have on my desk. <laughs> like a, a big brass plate. <laughs> I've got a, a, qu- a question for you about honor. Uh, honor of the smartphone brand? Yes. Uh, which position in the new ordering, because we, we round robin the intros now, is it the most honor to be first or is it the most honor to be last? Last. To be last. Because first has to do most work. That's true. First has to build, be a corporate shill, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I read the yeah. ads in it every time anyways. You'd be just like the extra, you know, person in the middle, they just like, they just do their thing, but the most honor, but like they still have to do some work, you know? The last person, they're like king of the day, you know, bring brought in on a little cushion or something. King of the day. Federico likes the sound of that. Yeah, no, and also like the 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 last person is the one that people will remember, right? Um, so that's that's why when you go to the movies and when you exit the movie theater, everybody's talking about the ending because the ending is what you remember. It is why uh, I believe what's it, what was it called? Um, I'm sure someone will correct me. Um, the so you guys know um, what's the English way to spell its name? Uh, uh, Cicero, like the the ancient Roman um, philosopher and yeah, like yeah, speech sure. writer. Um, there's a Ciceronian technique, which is like a speech, like a public speaking technique, where essentially you want to cram your most valid points at the very beginning or at the very end, because like you got to leave an effect on people like that. So if we apply the Ciceronian technique to connected. People will remember the first person in the intro, sure, but also, and very much more strongly, the last one. So, yeah, basically being in the middle is no fun. Okay, so the last person has the most honor, the first person has the second most honor, and the person in the middle just out of luck. Is the loser of the intro. The loser of the intro. Yeah, goes middle. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we round robin it, so it's someone else's turn next week. If the person in the no, middle No, you're the middle the person. Let's for- just move on. Come on. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine with it. But like, if they are the most forgettable, does it mean they can get away with the most stuff? But they forgotten about. Yeah. It's hard to say. But anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have some follow-up. Please. iFixit has taken apart their studio display. They had a pretty cute video they put up earlier today of people around their office trying to guess which was the inside of the studio display and which was the inside of the 24-inch iMac. Most people got it wrong because the studio display looks way more like a computer inside than the iMac does. Yeah, it really does. Like in the image, just the side by side, it looks like the iMac has nothing important inside. Like there's a bunch of empty space and a bunch of just what looks like just metal plates. But the studio display is completely full. It is. And the studio display is thicker as well by a healthy margin. So it's kind of fun to see that, see inside of that. If I was to, to call foul on this, though, like, surely anyone focused on technology knows that the studio display isn't blue, though. That was my problem with the video, but then I thought, well, maybe these people are, like, I don't know, salespeople or accountants. They or, work for iFixit, They should have done, like, the stranger on the street 
kind of thing. Yeah. Stranger iMac danger. They talk in the video, you should go watch it, about all the components, how they come out. It looks like to change the hinge, which it's it's been reported that Apple will change the hinge for you if you go to an Apple store and you fork over some money. It looks like the process for that is taking apart the studio display so the glass is glued on like it is the IMAX. And then the screws that mount the hinge to the chassis are on the inside. So something that you know someone who is comfortable with tools could definitely do, mm-hmm. but it's not as casual as, say, the iMac Pro was, where it was kind of designed for you to change out the the hinge on your own with a little tool set Apple gave you. That was pretty crappy, but at least it was not sealed inside. When you're saying the hinge, do you mean the stand? Yes. Sorry. Like, to a different thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or does the studio display secretly fold in half? Is yeah. that what you're telling yeah, me? Yeah, sorry. It, it's, I, it, I mean, the, the adjustable one's kind of got a hinge, sort of. Sure. Sure. But yes, to change the foot. I'm sorry. Thank you for clearing that up. Have you had any shipping information on yours? Oh, no, man. It was supposed to arrive between today and next week, and uh, I've yet to be charged for it. Yeah, it's not a good sign. It's not not looking good for me. Not looking good. I keep checking the credit card statement, but nothing's happening. I got mine. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You kept that one quiet. (laughs) Where's Where's your computer? What do you mean? Oh, no, not me. Okay. No, not you. So UPS said it was going to be here yesterday, but it was still in China yesterday. Now it says it's coming today, but it just got to Kentucky, which is a state away. So I expect to have it tomorrow. Ooh. Lucky you. I'm I'm really excited about it. It's only going to take two weeks, two weeks to migrate the 16 terabytes of storage that you've got on that machine, I'm sure, you know? So Kentucky is a real state? It is, just north of us. Like it's not like it's not one of those movie states from, from America that you see like in, in the in TV shows and movies are like, yeah, it sounds like an American state, but does it really exist? It's not like New Jersey or New York City. Those places aren't real. Well, New York City is real. New Jersey, uh, like from my understanding of American cinema, it seems like it's mostly like a joke that like, oh, you go to New Jersey. It's like, is it like a fictional place? I never act like, and I'm serious, I never actually understood if New Jersey is real or not. So the whole thing about New Jersey, like the way, the reason that people make fun of it, it's like it tends to be people, I think, from New York that make fun of New Jersey because it's like, ha ha, you uh, think yeah. you're New York, you know? But, I'm but not it's saying a real anything place. about it's not New like, Jersey. So it's not know? like a fictional place, like, oh, you go to New Jersey. Like, like it's, a, it's not a made-up thing. No, it's a real state. It's a real state. And so it's Kentucky. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think the I, Kentucky problem is probably because of the fried chicken, you know? Right. Yes. It sounds like a brand, but it's not like, I mean, it's also a brand, but it's also a state. And so is Arkansas. Arkansas is definitely it, real. <laughs> Okay. I am really looking forward to the moment when Federico says the name of a state that isn't real, you know? I'm just going to mm. let him think that it is. <laughs> like, I don't know, like Ontario. Is Ontario a real state? Oh, no, it's not in America, though. It's, it's in Canada. Yeah, it's a province in Canada. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. <laughs> and there, but but there's, no, there's no... So there's only North Dakota and South Dakota. There's no East Dakota, right? There's not. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool. Just just making sure. Federico, do you remember the movie Garden State? That's not a state. That's that's the movie with Zach Braff. It right? is. 
came out 2004. I, I'm, I'm skipping Mike in this conversation. I'll come to you in a second. But Federico, I feel like this movie would have really spoken to you when you saw it. You know, you're not the first person to tell me this. I really got to watch this movie. You haven't seen it? Okay. Oh, well, no, come on. Never. Share, play. Oh, the Share, only thing play. I know, Share, play. The only, th- <laughs> no, no. The, only thing, the only thing I know is that the soundtrack is excellent. It is very That's good. everything I know. Okay, why, why should I watch it? Because uh, th- even though there's a couple years difference between us, you and I have very similar feelings about music and media from this time period. Uh-huh. And this movie was kind of like the pinnacle of early aughts, like high school, college, early adulthood angst. Okay, okay. It really spoke to me because I was angsty in 2004. And uh, yeah. uh-huh. I don't know. What about you, Mike? Oh, big time. I mean, come on. Garden State, you kidding? Yeah. This is where I heard the Iron and Wine version of Such Great Heights for the first time. That song changed my friggin' life. Come on. They will see us waving from such great heights. Come down now. They'll say. But everything looks Do you know that the Iron and Wine version of that song was Mary and I's first dance at our wedding reception? I know that information. Yes. It's a really good version. It's a great movie. I don't think it would hold up today. I haven't seen it. I don't, you know, like in a long time. I don't really remember it, but I just feel like this was probably like if you watched this in 2004, meant a great deal to you. Otherwise, I'm not sure if it hits. See, I think Federico should watch it because he hasn't seen it, but I don't want to crack it open again for that reason. I don't want to ruin my memories. Yeah, but I think Federico, I think it's safe to watch. I think you should do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But Federico, if you watch it and don't like it, just tell us you watched it. Hmm. Right? Okay. Because like Steven and I do not want this memory broken, you know? Okay. So you just be like, I watched it. I watched it. And then leave it at that. Okay. All right. I'll do that. I have some follow out for us. Uh, First of all, Federico, I want to say congratulations and good job on App Stories 267. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Thank you. Yes, we uh, were able to have this really great conversation. Uh, We did an interview with Apple's um, Vivek Bard. Vardvaj. Uh, I really suck at pronouncing names. I'm sorry. Uh, but Vivek is a product manager um, at Apple. Uh, and we talked about universal control, shortcuts, live text, um, working on Mac OS and iPad OS. Uh, really, we, we talked about the state of, 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 of Apple's platforms in general. Um, and we were able to ask, like, to, to have this conversation, especially from my perspective, about, like, having been sort of the iPad guy, you know, for years, and I'm still using and, and loving the iPad Pro and iPad OS. Obviously, I want more from it, but also sort of reapproaching Mac OS with the MacBook Pro and how Apple views that, you know, that, that sort of evolution or maybe that coexistence of multiple devices in the lineup. And so that was cool. And we were also able to ask, to ask some technical questions, like very technical questions. Like, for example... 
I really wanted to know the thinking behind the new notify when run toggle for shortcuts automations, sort of like what was the sort of how you approached designing this kind of power user feature while still maintaining security for uh, regular people that are not shortcuts power users. So that was cool. And um, obviously Vivek knows what he's talking about and he's great at podcasts. And uh, I, I wish that, you know, I kind of wanted to go longer, but also, you know, there's a, there's a schedule to respect. So yeah, th thank you, Stephen, for the kind words. And uh, that, that's a good episode. I love it when we can get really technical and also talked about more sort of high level ideas, like how do you see macOS and iPadOS? So that was cool. Yeah, we had uh, Vivek on MPU back when yep. Shortcuts was introduced. Uh, yeah, yep. great interview. He's great to talk to. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So just congratulations again. I would like to share my two favorite things from the episode. Okay. One, Vivek and me share accent things. Mm, right. So to my ear, Vivek has a very British sounding accent. I don't know where they grew up. But like there is a, there's like a Britishness to the their accent, but they pronounce D's as T's. Mm -hmm. No, T's as D's, like I do, like water, right? Because you're around Americans for too long. And if yeah. you ask for a glass of water, they look at you like you're an alien. Mm -hmm. That was part one. Part two was... Go to Daco Tuesday and get some Mexican food. Yeah. Oh, man, I love a good Daco on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's just how, that's how Americans speak to my ear. <laughs> <laughs> wait no that's not that's not i saw steven you posting the title in the discord that's not how you spell it it's like this hold on it's like this Duck <laughs> Duck Duck uh, the second part was that he he made reference to uh the viral tweet, I think, of the kid that was using live text to cheat in class. <laughs> yes, I just yes. didn't think he would talk about that. And, and I enjoyed that he did. Yeah, they see these things. Uh, they, it was a good episode. Mm -hmm. They keep an eye on these things. Like, what's the... Because that was a John question. Like, what's one of the live text use cases that you didn't foresee? And Vivek was like, well, I guess, you know, the kid cheating in class with live text was one. <laughs> well, that was cool. It's just like, I know they know. But, like, I didn't think he would mention that specific one. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, he knows about it, right, as being, like, a product manager because it was, like, a big thing. Anyway, it's a good episode, very good episode. I like Vivek. He, he, he speaks very plainly, clearly, and warmly. I've enjoyed him on both of those episodes that I've heard him on now. Uh, I also have some follow-out for Upgrade episode 400, so... Congratulations. Oh, don't spoil it. I still have to listen. And congratulations, Mike. It's in my queue. But I'm not really going to spoil it. I just want to okay. bounce off a topic that they touched on and got something wrong. And I was going to correct it in Slack, but then I thought, I can do it here. Whoa. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Correcting your co-host on air for about a different show is just savage, Stephen. Come on. The, the energy that you're bringing here yeah. is like, it's like the worst kind of email we can get, yeah. but this is happening yeah. directly to me. I'm like a prisoner to this email, you know? Also, I, I helped you correct some grammar earlier today, too. <laughs> oh, no. You know I don't like that, though, right? Because it's not correcting. I would have just fixed it. But I won't touch a Cortex episode. I mean, it's another show I would have done it. Well, no, also, I've told you, you're not allowed to do that. You've got to stop doing that. So sometimes if Stephen, I've, I've mentioned this in the show before, if Stephen, it's, sometimes it's just he disagrees with the way that I write something. Mm. He changes it without telling me. And I find that to be unacceptable, personally. 
Federica, what is your ruling on this? Your, my ruling on correcting friends? Like, or but like going in and changing something in our CMS to the way that he would prefer it to be written. Well... For my shows that he's not on. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. So yeah. I feel like you shouldn't do the correction yourself. You should send him an iMessage explaining mm -hmm. where and why something is wrong. And he did that today, which is way better. So, Stephen, yeah. you are improving as an A-star to you. And I did change it. You did, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. But I also just wanted to state, Jason, I have nothing to do with this, right? Because you know whatever you're going to say right now, Jason's going to get mad about it. That's and fine. I just want to excuse myself from this immediately. So. That's fine. What do they say, Stephen? You have the floor. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> the, the one of greatest honor has let me speak. The pleasure stops here. <laughs> <laughs> I really want that on my desk now. <laughs> Poor Sylvia. <laughs> oh, God. Did you have to say that? He won't Did keep you? it in, though. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> Release the mic cut. I'll keep it in. I'll keep it uh, in. Yeah. Okay. So y'all were speaking about this idea of Apple maybe charging more for certain colors on their products. And Mike, you did a really good job. You brought up the 24-inch iMac where the base model is in a few colors. And if you want the whole range, you have to get uh, an upper tier model. And Jason rightly brought up the example of the white and black plastic MacBooks, saying that they were the same, except you paid whatever it was, $100 or $150 for the black finish, which was really cool looking. Like, I love the way the black MacBook looks. But, and I only know this because I did a video about it, so it's like burned in my mind that how this worked. So there were five generations of those plastic MacBooks, and it was always like good, better, best in terms of specifications, you know, in terms of CPU and RAM and hard drive space, that sort of thing. How it always worked was the high-end white one, so the middle MacBook, and the black one always had the same CPU and memory specs. The black one just came with a bigger hard drive in addition to the, the cost. Now, going from 60 to 80 or 120 to 160, you know, kind of depending on the generation, that larger capacity in no way justified the cost. I think Apple just did it to help justify it a little bit better. But you were paying for the color difference, but you did get more storage as well. So I just wanted to like set the record straight on how the MacBook worked because, again, that's what I thought until I did all this research and did this video a couple years ago. But then that got me thinking, where else has Apple done this in the past? And I came up with a couple of examples. Uh, there were uh, two generations of iPod Nano in particular where they did this. And I remember it because I remember because these Nanos were like in the store for sale when I worked there. And I remember people like getting mad that they had to spend more to get the color they wanted, uh, especially because Apple would make the black one like a higher end option. The black Nanos, I think, always looked cool. I think people liked them. So uh, the second generation, there was a two gigabyte entry level. It was only available in silver and it was $149. And then the four gigabyte was silver, green, blue, pink, and red, the product red color. That was $199, so 50 bucks more. But if you wanted the eight gigabyte, which like, do I remember eight gigabytes on an iPod Nano? It felt, to me at least, something so small with that much storage felt impossible at the time. Uh, that one was $249 and only came in black or product red. So the pricing and the colors being like all tied together with the capacity is definitely something Apple did 
Uh, they did it the next generation to a little bit simpler of a model. But I think the crowning achievement of Apple charging more for basically just a color or a finish. Uh, at first, I thought it was the stainless steel third generation iPod shuffle. Do you remember that? It was the buttonless iPod shuffle that no one uh, liked. The one that just did Siri or voice control. Voice, called, voice right? control. Yeah. And it was two gigabytes for $59, four gigabytes for $79, or four gigabytes stainless steel for $99. Literally, you're paying $20 more for the stainless steel finish. But then I remembered the most egregious example of this. I'm going to say three words. Gold Apple Watch. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, Just yeah. finish material. And it's a little bit different because, right, anodizing an iPod Nano doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars like a gold uh, Apple Watch. But I just kind of wanted to explore this idea of where Apple has charged differently for different colors or finishes or materials. I think the, this is all great, all very valid. I think the point that I would like to make in Counterpoint as a friend of the host of Upgrade, mm. is that the point that we originally made was that they haven't yet charged for colors. And the feedback that we got was an example of this, but it's also tied to configurations like which you've mentioned. Right. Like, yeah. So you you have pointed out definitely more examples of this happening, good examples. And I think that the, this is all feeding back to two episodes ago where we were saying that like, the idea of them just charging more money for color for the sake of it. But I could see them doing with these laptops another example of what you've mentioned here of like certain colors are only available on certain specs, but those specs cost more and come with more stuff. I mean, really, it started out as just wanting to like clear the page on the white and black MacBooks. And then I just got curious about how this has worked in the past. The Apple Watch one is the, is interesting, right? I mean, you're right. Like, they're different materials, so they're different. But you right. don't... It costs more to make a gold one than an aluminum one, but not $17,000 yeah. or, or even a titanium one to an aluminum one, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I just said aluminum. Ugh. Wow. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, well, it's, you know... Keep my language I mean, out of your mouth. I would love aluminium. to. Aluminium. Aluminium. Oh. Aluminium. Titanium. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. I'm going to just tell y'all something about me. Uh, just stick with me. I love content management systems. My last like jobby job was at an agency. We had our own custom content management system to build websites on top of. Relay owns its own CMS that we built. Uh, I love them. I like fiddling with them. I like building them. But look, don't be like me. Just don't do it. Be better than me. And use Squarespace for the next website you need to build. You can get a beautiful website, you can engage with your audience, and you can sell anything, uh, product, services, content you're creating. Whatever you need, Squarespace has the tools to get you covered. You can sell your products in an online store, physical and digital products, both. They have all the tools you need to start selling online. And you can really like dial in your SEO with their suite of integrated features and useful guides to help maximize your prominence among search results. If you're doing this on your own, you got to bolt all that stuff on. Squarespace, it all works together. It all looks really good and all really easy to manage. So your next project, no matter what it is, a website for your business, maybe a blog or a podcast or you're hosting an event. Uh, I've seen Squarespace sites used for uh, like wedding gift registry stuff, all sorts of examples. You should go to Squarespace and get started. 
To do that, go to squarespace.com connected for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code connected to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com connected and use the sign up code connected to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for building an awesome product, supporting Connected, and all of Relay FM. So you going to WWDC? I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> He's going. Oh no! Nice. I'm going to the Worldwide DACO Conference. <laughs> uh, so we, a lot of people had assumed that we would have known uh, about the date for WWDC by now. Historically. One would have assumed by the end of March, we'd know. That has been uh, the typical. It's been the typical before COVID. It's been the typical during COVID uh, that they have announced the WWDC dates for June sometime in March. Uh, it is the 30th of March today. It is yet to occur. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, they've done it, but they haven't done it yet. Uh, Apple feel like they've been tricking us, the people that do pay attention to these things, because they keep putting out press releases, <laughs> uh, but none of them have the WWDC dates in them. I don't know. I, I've been thinking about this, and I feel like it's it's the third year that mm-hmm. this is going to be an online event, right? Is there really any pressure to pre-announce it in in March? No, right? I mean, right? You could just even announce it in early May, and it wouldn't matter because people will pay attention anyway. The only reason I was thinking about this too, right? And the the only reason I came down on this is like it's a community event, right? By yeah. and large. Yeah. That means you have to pay attention to the community, right? Community is expecting to know now based on every other year. So mm-hmm. if you're paying attention to the community, at some point you gotta tell them. Even at if at some point. Right? Even if maybe they're gonna do it later. Maybe they're gonna do it it's all different. But it's like, you know, you got at some point, like in the last two years, there was no need, well, maybe 2020, 2021, there was no need to tell us in March either, right? For for the same reasons. So you'd kind of expect it at some point. As Kate's pointed out in the Discord, if they're doing a student contest, they've got to give some time for that, right? Because you've got to come up with the idea. And really, that's the best reason. Like, that's the best argument, I think. If you want to have a student contest, you got to give them time to build the project and submit the project. So yeah, yeah, I could see that. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, I think there's definitely no pressure to rush it out the door. We're all expecting it. You know, I see why they did that in 21. Uh, Maybe they thought, you know, people thought, I certainly thought that we were closer to the end of it then than we ended up being. But don't you feel that way now, though? Like, doesn't it feel the same? Yeah, but I don't want to say it out loud, you know, because like in other parts of the world, it's very much... Not I mean, every control. part of the world, like, it's not, it's, you know, it, it, anyway, let's not get into this. But, like, it's, you know, I don't know how different it really feels than this time last year. The week of June 6th, I believe, is the first full week of June. That feels like a lock to me. Uh, June does the weird thing where it's split this year, where the first is a Wednesday. So June 6th through 10th would be the first full week that falls. Where they like to have it? They like to have it the first half of June. And, uh, you know, that's... It's coming up pretty quick. It's really not that far away. I do uh, I did want to talk about it. I mean, I think all three of us believe it will be virtual in terms of attendees. There's been talk of, of maybe Apple having press out for the keynote and that being streamed live with, you know, select press in the room or maybe outside in the in the cool 
uh, rainbow stage area uh, in the cent- central ring of Apple Park. But if that's the case, like, I think it's at most what they would do. And that's kind of what Google's doing with IO, right? They're doing uh, a little event in person with very few people in the audience. Maybe that's the way to like dip your toe back in the water with this. Yeah, I think Google's doing employees though. Yeah, yeah, not press. So they, Apple could do this too, right? Of like, so you can kind of start to get that back. Because maybe WWDC, there isn't much use in having press there. Like if you've not got like hardware to show them. Why invite them? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And if it's smaller, then you can like focus on the press who would really cover the software stories, I guess. True. And, True. you know, different than the iPhone event, which is like you just got to get as many people in there as possible. I think Google's going back to the Charlotte Amphitheater too, where they did it uh, pre-COVID. So. I like that. I mean, I haven't been there, but I like the way that looks on their streams. Wasn't there that first year where everyone got sunburned? Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that <laughs> just like yeah. think ahead, man. <laughs> you know, like oh, we're gonna have everyone sit down sit outside at noon. Great, let's go for it. Uh, James yeah. said, "Just fill the theater with Apple employees." I mean, Apple is pushing the people get back to get back. So, I mean, so that could be it, right? Like that that could be a way to do it. People will back Maybe. put them in there. Um, and, and start to like introduce, because I think it's like going to be hybrid, right? Like they're still going to, I reckon, cut away to way more video stuff than they used to just because it looks so good. And mm-hmm. I can imagine that the people that put together these things really like the amount that they can control the message yeah. and the way everything looks and sounds and feels by having it editable and not live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, there's, I reckon there's going to be a, a an always an element of like um, mixing that stuff up, where like maybe Tim's live and demos are live, but everything else is video. We'll, we'll see. see. It's just very interesting to consider the future of it, and hopefully know when it is sooner rather than later. I also want to talk about uh, the new version of Overcast that came out last week. Uh, version he does like the year really so it's 2022.2 uh, the version yeah, numbers still still i'm sorry marco but it still looks horrible like i i, I am extremely against this naming mechanism i understand why some developers like it it sounds i don't know i struggle to associate features with this versioning numbering system so just me as an app reviewer speaking here um, <laughs> anyway you go use your versioning scheme you prefer but hey i don't like it so anyway um yes steven you have the floor again thank you so this is what marco is calling phase one of a wider redesign of overcast so the the focus here was uh it seems like around some of the colors and, and typography you can now set custom colors for your light and dark theme so i'm using the dark theme with orange which looks really good and uh, playlist got a big overhaul. So immediately, visually, they're different. They're these nice, rounded uh, color sections, and you can customize, of course, the name, but also the icon. So there's a bunch of SF symbols to choose from, uh, which I really like the customization. It makes me wish for this wide of customization and things like shortcuts or reminders. <laughs> it's like, just load in SF symbols and let me pick from 10,000 things. I think it looks really great. Uh, the short, uh, the playlist stuff, I don't use playlists a lot, but he has changed and added some functionality to how you can 
set up a playlist. So some of those criteria have been uh, tweaked. And overall, I think it looks really good. And I'm excited about uh, what comes next because this has uh, made other parts of the app feel uh, pretty old, like especially the playing screen, which I know he's gonna he's talked about on Under the Radar, uh, that being a really big part of this redesign. He's not there yet, but I think it definitely brings uh, a breath of fresh air to this UI, which honestly really needed it. Yeah, it's really nice. I, I really like the use of colors and I really like like the the new layout uh, in the especially in the first half of the main screen with the playlists and the recent uh, section. There's a couple of things that I would like to see tweaked personally. I really would prefer to have more details in the recent scrolling tray because right now it just shows me like this horizontal uh, row of podcast episodes. Uh, but it only shows the artwork. It doesn't show the the title of the episode. It, it, so I don't know. I find it very confusing because I would like to confirm which episode it is. And I know that I can long press on those thumbnails to get more details. But that's one extra interaction that I would prefer to avoid if possible. Um, and also... I am maybe in the minority here, but I find the act the what's what's it called unplayed active and archive organization kind of confusing. I don't really understand what like the difference between unplayed and active is because both of them have orange dots next to them. Right. Well, this is that issue with the archive and active thing, right? Like, yeah. and the archive is just empty for me. Like, so why is it ah. there? Like, why can I not turn it off? I don't really understand. Like, unplayed, I guess it's unplayed episodes and they have orange dots, which, okay, makes sense. But then I go to active and I see the same shows and they also have orange dots. So it seems like to me, unplayed and active are like the same screen and archive is just there within space. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, I'm. Like, I understand some of why it's there, but, like, it does get into a thing that I have a problem with, which uh, Stephen wrote about. And I've mentioned the show before. I have a problem with all podcast apps that do this, that um, say that a show is not active anymore or predicts the frequency of an episode release date. Like, I just don't like that stuff. I think that those decisions should be left to the person that makes the show, not an algorithm, because... It, 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 I don't know. Like, I don't like someone saying what my show is, you know? Like, for example, we have a feed here at Relay Living with Departures that is very much an active feed, but we'll only get something when we have a live show. So it's not inactive. But anyway, overall, I like the design uh, changes so far. I mean, for me, the thing that I've liked the most is the, um, the iconography change, just like in general. I think uh, th like there's a lot more SF symbols just throughout the app. Right, and and I like the way that looks really fresh, like so. I, I like all of that stuff, and I like the way that playlists look at that now. Um, the recent thing, I think I might be uh, in the same camp as you, Federico. I like the way it looks, but I don't think I've ever used it. So, like for me, years ago, at WWDC, Stephen noticed the thing that me and Federico were doing, that we would get a notification on an Apple Watch and take our phone out of our pocket. Right, that like the notification, like you'd feel the thing happen on your Apple Watch, and you'd take your phone out your pocket to do the thing. That's how I feel about this recent thing. It's like, oh, there's a podcast that's new. Let me go to my all episode playlist and take it into my queue playlist. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not actually interacting with that 
part of the UI at all. It's just like a notifications thing for me. So, but overall, the app looks way more modern now, which is awesome. And it looks uh, uh, like it, it just, it, it kind of feels like it fits within its market more. Where like, I feel like maybe for a while, it's like, this is our app, you know, like the podcast nerds. Like, And it's not saying it's not that anymore, but it has more of like a, I don't know, it feels like a, more of a design, which is for a larger audience, which I think is probably the right thing to do. I, I turned off the recent thing. I just, um, I find myself basically scrolling, scrolling past it. Oh, you can turn it off? Yeah, it's in the playlist menu at the top of that screen. Uh, there's you can actually turn on some like suggested or pre-made. Oh, I see. And I there's see. an option to turn on or off the recents section. Except I think it looks nice. I just don't need the functionality. But yeah, it looks nice though. Mm. It does. Yeah. All in all, I'm really impressed with where it's come, and uh, I'm excited to see what he brings to it next. This episode of Connected is made possible by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical snafu while shopping online? Have payment fields given you a headache when you try to fill them out? Or has your mobile banking app been down when you really needed to use it? Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking. This means easier access to their money and more security. That's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud with random forests, with models that quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. And they identify how mobile app outages happen with causal models. Keeping a mobile app up and running doesn't happen by accident. Anomaly detection and incident response help determine why app outages happen so engineers can quickly remedy them. Capital One speeds up online shopping with machine learning at the edge. They make shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure, This technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser. It identifies payment fields, which helps make using those virtual card numbers easier and faster. The potential of machine learning is so big, CL Capital One is using it to create the future of banking. Simply search machine learning at Capital One. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Google Docs is getting markdown support natively. (laughs) Uh, This is obviously only on the web because why update the applications? Um, Google Docs had already supported like bullets. Like if you would type an asterisk and put and then space, it would immediately turn it into a bullet. Lots and lots of apps do this, right? Like whether they support Markdown or not, like it's just become like a thing. But Google Docs will now automatically convert other styling choices like headings, bold, italicizing. I think Stephen is in our document right now or Federico like that checking me. that links work and they yeah. work too, which is good. Um, it's automatically done once you turn on the setting. What do the two of you think about that? Like it doesn't... Um, it doesn't like do any syntax highlighting, right? Like it just changes what you type in. I'm kind of torn on this because I like apps like OneWriter or like Obsidian does this where your te- your plain text picks up some formatting based on the markdown that's around it. I know some people really don't like that and would prefer just to see it all the same. And okay, I don't need my H1 to be bigger. I see that because there's a single pound sign next to it that it's an H1. So I'm kind of torn on it. I also don't have the option yet because google no, just federico does out of the three of us and he can do things in our document but we can't do them <laughs> it's that google says it can take longer than 15 days it's cool though i mean a lot of people 
including maybe all three of us, like we just write in Markdown all the time to the point where I actually use Markdown in like my handwritten field notes notebook. Like just if I'm like making headers and notes or whatever, I will use Markdown for that just because I can visually parse it. Wow. This is cool. This is like maybe one of the more mainstream places Markdown has shown up. I think it's correct that it should be off by default because most people obviously don't know what Markdown is. This is just for those of us who do. And so we can go in and find it and turn it on. I've got no problems with the with the preference being set the way that it is. I was thinking about this. Like, is, what is the thing that people would bump up against? And I guess it's the use of the pound sign, right? I was I actually thought about the asterisks um, because people type... I mean, one of the reasons they're used that way is because people may use asterisks or underscores to emphasize a word in plain text, and then they actually stumble into why is it being italicized or bolded. Maybe they don't. I feel. Do, do people that. do that that don't know what it is for, though? I don't know. You know? I don't know. Like, I feel like that might be like, oh, I wanted it to be in a. Ita- you know, I don't know. But I feel like if you would type in like pound something, it like a hashtag, it would turn it into a heading, potentially. Well, hopefully it requires a space after it. Who knows? I mean, I've used apps that don't that try and tag things. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. Like, we don't know the exact details of which flavor of Markdown this is. Um, you know, and there's a lot of apps like uh, Slack, for instance, is the worst offender, where they almost support Markdown, but like the asterisks and underscores do different things, and they should be the same according to the official like Gruber's Markdown resource guides. But I think it's cool. I'm looking forward to turning it on. Something I will definitely turn on uh, and use. It's just, uh, you know, whenever it shows up, I'll check the box. You, you've, you've mentioned Slack, so I'd like to air a grievance. Please. It's just the emoji thing again. Yeah, they're, they're like two releases behind now or three. Yeah. Yep. But that was her. You know, I use that app Rocket on the Mac. They haven't added the new emoji either. What is what is it with applications that are all about emoji? It's only Masquerade. <laughs> Masquerade's leading the way. Well, it's because Casey did the smart thing, where like it's just pulling the emoji, so like he can it doesn't he doesn't have to do anything. Like it yeah. just he doesn't need to like update the application like in any way. Like it just works. Like Casey did it the smart way. But like that, you know what app I'm talking about, right? Like the Rocket yeah, emoji yeah. searching app. Like they haven't added a new emoji, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? This is your whole thing. Like this is the thing. This is what you do. Like it's the same with Slack. Like I don't get it. Like if you build your whole like so much of Slack's corporate identity is built around emoji. But there are two emoji releases behind now where they don't support it in the searching and also like some emojis small in the app and some are big. Like what are you doing, man? Why what is what is this? I don't get it. My grievance has been ad. Can I go back to Google Docs and Markdown real quick? Please. Um so couple couple of thoughts here. Um I think it's the right choice to uh to keep it off by default. <sighs> In terms of the implementation, I mean, I've already found, you know, a few things that are not working and that's fine. Um, but you can see that it's still like a mode that has been, you know, bolted onto a pre-existing system. Meaning if you enter some markdown and it reformats on the fly, right? When you go back and delete a few characters, you are still in the same rich text formatting mode, meaning if you 
are on a new line and you enter, you know, double asterisk because you want to make a word bold and then you back out and delete those characters, the editor is still switched to bold formatting, which is, you know, it's th that sort of like WYSIWYG mentality. It's sort of against the spirit of Markdown, which is you see the formatting and if you delete the characters, you also delete the formatting. Like I recently reread John Gruber's introduction of Markdown from many, many, many years ago. Such a great piece of like a, 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 a plain English explanation of a very technical thing. And one of the driving principles behind it was, you know, to, to be the opposite of WYSIWYG editors where sometimes even though you deleted the syntax the editor is still switched to a particular formatting mode and you can see this in the markdown implementation of Google Docs which again not surprising because this is an old thing that are trying to add more options to it uh, the second thing that I want to say is I mean, unsurprisingly, I think the best implementation of this kind of, it's markdown, but it's also visually previewed, so you don't see the syntax. The best one is the live preview mode in Obsidian. Obsidian recently shipped this major update to the engine behind its editor, and now this mode called the live preview is on by default for all Obsidian users. And if you want, you can go back to the legacy editor, but that has been deprecated and it'll go away eventually. And the way Obsidian does this, I think, is the best balance, the best compromise that I've seen to date, which is you can type markdown and the text formats as you go. However, if you then place the cursor in, in any point of the editor where formatting is taking place, you see it goes back to showing you the plain text syntax. So, for example, right now I'm looking at a note, and the note has a, has a link, a link to a, a, a web page. And that's an underlined, uh, you know, rich text link. However, if I place the cursor next to it, it turns into the plain text markdown. So it lets me see the markdown syntax if I place my cursor on the same line. And this, I think, is the best compromise because I am very picky about my markdown and I'm very picky about my syntax. And I've always resisted the idea of these editors trying to be too fancy about it, being like, but what if you couldn't, you don't, you wouldn't have to see the markdown syntax, which kind of defeats the point because that's the point of markdown. It's supposed to be readable, it's supposed to be intuitive and to give you full control over formatting. But this way, in Obsidian, I do see nicely, you know, assembled sort of documents in preview mode. However, I still retain control of the editor if I place a cursor on a line of text that has markdown. So, just wanted to say that 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 sort of is my baseline now. The the Obsidian live preview mode is my baseline for all these kinds of markdown, but also rich preview implementations. Why not both? You know. Just make your own text editor. Te teachy text. Well, you joke about it, but at some point I will. Could I suggest Electron? Once I'm done with all these things I'm doing, I mean, it's, it's an obvious next step for me, right? One last tiny topic. Uh, friend of the show and now Twitter famous person, Ming-Chi Kuo, has uh, predicted that the underscreen, 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 Fingerprint like reader. That's really hard to say. That uh, that was maybe uh, on board for 2023, 
but now he thinks that it's unlikely to happen, that maybe Apple has just decided not to pursue this. This is a quote. I previously predicted iPhones would support under-display fingerprint sensing slash touch ID in 2023 at the earliest, but the latest survey indicates that new iPhones in 23 and 24 may not adopt under-display touch ID. Face ID with a mask on iPhone is already a great biometrics solution. What do y'all think? I think since 15.4, I don't want it anymore. I don't, I don't feel like I need touch ID anymore. Like the, the, the mask, the face ID of a mask has taken me back to like my previous feelings about face ID of being better than touch ID in every single possible way. Like, I, I don't feel like I want it anymore. Um, like where I, if you would have asked me six months ago, I very much wanted touch ID to return to the iPhone, but now I could take it or leave it. Like, because under screen, you know, it's not, it, it still requires this, like it has to be in a specific place. Even if it's like a large area, it's still a specific place, which is just like, I don't want to be so intentional about it. Like I prefer face ID, especially again now where I can go back to being way less intentional about what I'm, how I'm unlocking my phone. So yeah, I, I think that they've honestly solved the situation again for me. Like I don't feel like I require touch ID and maybe that's like, you know, as, as uh, Ming-Chi said, like face ID of a mask on iPhone is already a great biometric solution. Like maybe that's where Apple's come back to again. Like, you know what? We've, we've got face ID back to where we want it to be. I I agree with Mike, and I also think, why do they have to be so clever about this? Just make the side button a Touch ID button and have both Face ID and Touch ID. Like, why? Uh, it feels to me like this is a case of Apple trying to be too clever about something that is under their nose already because they have this feature on the iPad Air and the iPad Mini. Just turn the existing side button into one of those existing Touch ID buttons and have both, again, why not both? Have both Face ID and Touch ID on the iPhone just repurpose the existing button that you already have. I'm not sure about the button, though. Why? Now, look, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why for me on the iPhone. I don't unlock my iPhone by pressing the button, you know? Right, because you don't have to, but what if you wanted to? Like, Sylvia, for example, hates Face ID. Like right, she just okay. hates Face ID. Like, right. given the option, she would use Touch ID instead. Do you know why she doesn't like it? Uh, because she says that, you know, sometimes she's wearing sunglasses and it doesn't work with oh, her right, sunglasses. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, she always found Touch ID more reliable. She uses the iPhone. She lo- she's not switching to anything else, obviously, but she, you know, she's like, yeah, Face ID, you know, used to be better years ago. Right. And, you know, I, I understand that point of view. So given the option, let people choose, you know? Make it go back to like, as you say, a choice thing, not necessarily making the most convenient, right? Because you would imagine that they were like, oh, what they really want to do is when you do that swipe up on the home screen, right? It's scanning your fingerprint and then whichever one gets to first, the fingerprint or the face, then you're good, you're unlocked, Sure. Right? Which is probably sure. why they wanted to put it in the, in the screen, right? So like train everyone to keep using the same swipe area. If it can't get the, the face, maybe it gets the finger, but I get what you mean, like just... Just give it as a choice. I don't know. Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I think a choice would be nice. I mean, I, I get the fact that the the behavior we've all learned now is that you just have to tap the screen and look at it or raise your phone and look at it. And we've we've definitely all moved away from using the, the sleep-wake button to actually wake up our phones. 
But we could all adjust again. And I think it'd be nice to have options because for some people, one works way better than the other. Uh, and your needs change over time. Like just think about, uh, you know, yeah, you're maybe wearing sunglasses in the summer that don't work, but maybe in the winter you're wearing gloves that aren't touch sensitive, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, mm. I, I just don't, I don't see the harm in putting both in, especially if the technology already exists. Now, yes, the button is bigger on the iPads than it is on the phone, but they can continue to work on that. I don't know. I'd like to see it uh, because I think just having having more options would be nice. And I wonder if Apple would do something where, yeah, you can use, you know, either one to like authenticate in a password manager. But what if I could set it up where it required both? I needed to touch and look. And Oh, two-factor. Yeah, I mean, it's not like really two-factor because it's still just one body, but... Well, I mean, I guess it depends how you set it up, right? Yeah, I, I have to look at it. My wife has to touch the Touch ID, and then I can move money out of the bank account for a new computer. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Have I told you guys about the one little trick that changed my life? Oh, are we getting one of these viral tweets here? Are you viral tweeting yes, the yes, show? Yes, yes. Did I you know you can thing. drag with two fingers and select multiple things? Yeah, well, you have you read my iOS reviews? I should be like Casey, you know. I can't believe you haven't read my blog. You should, you should, re- you should reply to every single one of those tweets and be like, "Did you say like you didn't read my iOS?" It's like you yeah. never read my reviews. Honestly, I really feel like I could have a very lucrative side career as a clickbait headline writer. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm not doing that. So. I, I, did I tell you guys or did I tell John? I don't remember. Anyway, I disabled race to wake. Okay. Uh, no, sorry. I disabled tap to wake on my okay. iPhone. So I'm just unlocking the iPhone by pressing the side button now or by raising the iPhone. But I disabled touching the screen to wake the phone because it was driving me. It was so annoying that. And it's something that has been building up over the past couple of years all the time. I would continually, continuously, accidentally unlock my phone or do something on my iPhone's lock screen without me knowing. Yeah. I guess this happens because that's something I realized about myself. Um, I, I fiddle with my iPhone when it's in my pocket a lot. I don't know why I do this. I Apparently, I can't stop doing this. So... I just needed to, you know, face this reality. I touch my phone when it's in my pocket a lot, just randomly. Just I, I, I like I fiddle with it, like a fidget toy or something. I don't know why I do it. So I would find my phone like either with the flashlight on, uh, with the camera unlocked. It would start burning up in my pocket, right, which is uncomfortable. Another instance, sometimes... I, you know, when I'm walking the dogs at night, for example, and the street lamp is broken or something, and I have to use my iPhone's flashlight, right? So I'm walking the dogs and I'm holding the iPhone with a flashlight on, right? Because I need to have some light. uh, And I'm holding the phone with the screen turned off. But because of those accidental touches, so the palm of my hand is touching the phone and it would continuously turn off the flashlight, leaving me and the dogs in the dark, and so I just, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know, enough with this tap-to-wake stuff. I'm just going back to waking the phone by either picking up my iPhone or touching or pressing the side button. And it honestly changed my life. I've been a happy man ever since. Like, really, really happy with my iPhone that it doesn't uh, 
I, that I don't accidentally touch and therefore wake and do stuff anymore. Okay. I mean, I could imagine removing raise to wake would be much more of a thing no, you no, would that, notice. No, no, yeah, no. Raise to wake is amazing. Uh, but yeah. tap to wake, I, I still have it on the iPad, of course, because you know the iPad is not like I'm you know walking around and just holding the iPad. Uh, also Does the trying, iPad even have raise to wake? I think they do. I think okay. they do. Uh, no, not raise to wake, tap to wake. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, they do. Uh, also, I'm not fiddling with my iPad Pro. You know, it's you know 13 inch tablet, not fun as a fidget toy. But uh, yeah, yeah, no more tap to wake. How do you feel about the touch? Wait, did we decide how you felt about the touch ID? Yeah, I don't think we ever actually got there. <laughs> <laughs> touch ID under the screen. I don't care anymore. Just put it in the side button. Great. Yeah. We may have answered that already. I don't remember anymore. You know, that was my conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I I, I like the feature, but I understand in the, in the situation you have described, I would also be annoyed by that if that was happening to me. You know, I'm not a pocket fiddler like you. This episode of Connected is made possible by our friends at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to an audience used by the biggest creators on the web. Generate sustainable, recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You've heard us talk about the Relay FM membership program. It is built on Memberful. We chose Memberful years and years ago for their excellent features, and it has been a rewarding partnership ever since. They make it easy for us to generate extra revenue for the company and deliver bonus content and goodies to our members. Memberful really has given us the tools to stabilize our business through the pandemic uh, and to build this whole new part of the company out where we have longer ad-free versions of the show. Those are delivered through Memberful. The monthly newsletter, delivered through Memberful. Our Discord integration, so members can come into the Discord, and if you're not a member, you're not allowed, that's also through Memberful. All that stuff is under one roof. I'm not running around adding a bunch of things piece by piece. Memberful makes it easy uh, to do this and really easy to rely on other means of income besides advertising. Maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income. Memberful makes it easy to diversify that uh, with everything you need to run a membership program. In addition to all the stuff I already mentioned, you also get custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay support, free trials, private podcast feed, and tons more. They leave you with full control, though, and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. I mentioned the newsletter. That's just built into Memberful. I'm not using a third-party email provider anymore. And those newsletters get posted on a members-only website so people can check them out in the future, which I think is really cool. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize your passion. Get started for free at memberful.com connected with no credit card required. That's memberful.com slash connected. Go there now to check it out. It could be the start of something really exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. Uh, last week, we started looking at some changes to the Bill Whoa, of wait, Rookies. Hang on. That's not correct. Last week, you ambushed us. Yes, thank you, Mike. With a complete rewrite of the Bill of Rookies. We, d- we gently discussed some changes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, before we get into where we left off, uh, I just wanted to point out uh, some stuff Lex has done at rickies.co. Uh, we're up to version 2.2 now. There's several new pages. Rickies.co slash trophies includes everything you need to know about the different trophies 
including an AR version of the Tricky, our wooden trophies, and an interactive Mac Tricky. Now, the AR version is something James made. Yes. And I don't know if it ever was actually in Shipping Peacock, but it was at least for a little while secretly inside of Shipping Peacock um, as he was working on that. And I think he then provided the model to Lex. And if I'm... It's always... Oh, it's in Shipping Dice. That's it. Dice by Peacock. And in the, if you're in the real AFM mode, and I think if you then go to the About screen, the Mag Tricky... No, the Tricky, the R version trophy is in Dice by Peacock now and does a bunch of updating and then he provided that model to Lex to put it on the website too. So there's all kinds of shenanigans going on here. And there's a full change log over on the GitHub page for the project. But I wanted to point those two things out because in the proposed new document, uh, we reference that rickies.co has a page about the trophies. And so that page is now real, which is very cool of Lex. Uh, I know it was a lot of work, so thank you, as always. Helps with the closing ceremonies. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get there. We got we got things to finish. Uh, okay. So if you guys want to reopen that document, uh, yep. we, we need to finalize our decision on reusing of picks during the, the Rickies, during the regular game. Do you all have any uh, thoughts on how we should do that? Didn't we want to rediscuss the preamble as well? Yes, there's a, maybe a tweak that we could bring to the preamble. Oh, right. Yeah, so Sam had recommended this. Sam writes on Twitter. Which I like this. I think the preamble should also briefly explain the actual principle of the game. Something like players try to predict what happens during or after the keynote. Um, that's a good suggestion. Which is funny because like the preamble is supposed to explain the actual principle of the game. Like I think that's what we were going for. The Rickies is a game where connected hosts play, be- play before Apple keynotes in the beginning of a new year. So I guess we just need to to, to add trying that to predict predictions. what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's because that's the point. It's like it's just a game we play, and there's a Ricky involved. You know what I mean? It's like I think it needs the predictions. You know. So what if I just add at the beginning? So the Rickies is a game connected host play before Apple keynotes in the beginning of a new year, trying to predict future events. Uh, so uh, what about reusing picks? Do y'all have y'all done some soul searching and <sighs> up with something? I do think there needs to be a pick reusing rule. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should just get to freely repick whatever we want. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I've been thinking about this. I think we should keep something. And I feel like maybe a good compromise could be you cannot reuse the same pick for the next game. So you have like a one game hold where you cannot reuse a pick. Can I make an, a, a suggestion to that? That it is we cannot re- repick our own things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. that was implied, but yes, I agree. Cool. I, I didn't catch that. So, for example, let's flesh this out. Say that Mike makes a prediction that macbooks will come with 5g mm-hmm. yeah he does that in september and yes. then in october he can't use that again but i can yep. yeah yes but if there was an yes. event in november i could then use it again yes yeah I, I prefer this because honestly the reason for me the reason that i don't like the year thing is the complexity of keeping track of that yeah we Time it becomes you know challenging. 
And also as well, I don't think it's that helpful because I don't really think many things picked in March will be that applicable in October or anyone. You know what I mean? Yep. So like yep. it's adding a level of overhead, which maybe isn't necessary and also allows us to actually make relevant picks again. If someone made a pick in March about an iMac Pro coming, like that was relevant, but then it wouldn't be relevant again now until the end of the year, but it's still a pick that should be made if like everyone believes the iMac Pro is coming at the end of the year. So, Yep. Yeah, and it also adds like an element of strategy to the game where if you think there's going to be multiple Apple events, then you got to be strategic about like, do I want to do this pick now at the risk of not being able to pick it again for the next event or do I want to save it for the second event? So it adds that element and it's easier for us to manage because we can just go to rikis.co, see you know the, the previous game, and you don't have to do the like the, the calculation of like has it been a year? No, you just go. What's the previous one, uh, and what picks can I use? And it's easier for everyone. And I know that these incredible websites will have really great search tools. Like I know that they exist, but still, I I, I think a twelve month span is just is too much. It's it's too aggressive. So let me ask you this: How does the annual game fit into this? Is a pick dead? between annual events, the way I view it is, the way I'm thinking about it is, say there's an October event and you pick MacBooks, get 5G, you can't pick that in the annual because it was in your previous batch. I like that. So, okay. And if you pick something and if you pick something on the annual event, you cannot pick it again in the March event? Yeah. That there's no there's no distinguishing between the two types of games. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I actually want uh, to... I know I have some stuff I need to think about here. So for the end... Uh, there's two things uh, that, from what I've heard that I like and would like to clarify. So in the annual pick, I don't think any three of us should be able to pick anything we have picked in the previous 12 months. That that would be my ideal. Uh, what, what? I can't make it too hard. But that's the point. The annual ones have got to be hard. Because what I like about the annual picks, right? So let me just put that, is that it is way grander than a keynote. Like we, I, I like that you have to make much bigger predictions for the annual rookies. Like if we all made picks that could possibly happen in a March event, that's not so fun. Like, and so by making us be really inventive, I like that about the annuals. We could choose to do whatever you want with that, but that's just my uh, thing. What I was then going to say is any annual pick that any of us has made should be unpickable for the rest of the year because then you're doubling down on it. Someone could double dip or like one pick or maybe just an easier way to do it is anything you pick in the annuals, you can't pick again. Yeah, until the next. Like no annual pick is choosable by the pick person. Right, like if I make a pick, which is like Apple releases an iPhone, you know what I mean? Like I can't, like. No, you lost me here, man. So. All right, so there's two. There are two two things I want to raise with the annual picks, right? Yeah. Point number one: If we're coming to our 2023 annual picks, yeah, I don't think I should be allowed to choose anything I have picked in 2022 for that. That's point one. 
Right. So when you say anything you've picked, uh-huh. that's where I get confused. When you say anything you've picked yep. in 2022, does that apply to 2022 annual or 2022 annual plus All keynote events? Yeah. Everything. Everything. That's what th- this is what I'm proposing. Because then it makes the annual picks harder and like they have to be bigger picture, right? But I can still pick something you picked, but I can't pick anything I picked. Point two is that Anything picked in an annual Ricky cannot be reused in any keynote Ricky for the following year by the person who picked it. So I can't get points in both a keynote Ricky and an annual Ricky for the same thing. No, you lost me again. Okay. We're going to do these point by point. I'm going to start with the second one, right? Yeah. If I pick in the annual Rickies, WWDC will be in person, right? Yes. That's my pick. I locked that in. Yeah. In June, I can't pick WWDC is going to be in person. So any pick that I make for an annual picky annual Ricky pick, I cannot make any. I cannot re-pick anything later on in the year. It's the same thing, right? So any any annual pick that I make cannot also be a keynote pick. Does that make sense? You don't have to agree with me, but do you follow what I'm saying? So you want annual picks to be sort of like to be exclusive in their own world? Yes, like. Annual picks are these. You say them at the beginning of the year. You cannot reuse them for anything through the course of the calendar year. Yes. Okay. That's point one. Then the other point is, it's going backwards. So 2023's annual picks, I cannot reuse anything I have picked in 2022. They have to be original right. and then they can't be reused. So you, your goal is to make the January uh, Rickies as original and bold as possible. Yes, that's what I'm aiming for with these two rules. Mm. Because I think that's what makes the annual game the most fun. Mm. I mean, you're not wrong. That, that'll do it. It'll make it really challenging. Because I do, what I don't want us to be doing is picking things that are right on the horizon. I mean, it makes the annual game very challenging and difficult. It should be. But it should be. Because as well, right? Like, one of the problems with the Rickies is we don't know when it's going to happen. The annual one, we know when that's happening, right? So it is our job to be thinking of these for like two months before. So here's how I would put it all together, guys. Okay. We add two point two sub points about these rules. Okay. One says annual rickies, whatever you so basically I'm summarizing here. Whatever you pick at the beginning of the year, you cannot reuse through the course of the calendar year. And you cannot reuse any pick from the previous year. Yes. For keynote rickies, you cannot reuse the same pick in the next keynote. Yes. And that's it. That's it. So annual, essentially annual rickies have a one-year exclusivity. Yep. Keynote rickies have a one-keynote exclusivity. Yep. Mm, That works for me. It'll make the 2023 predictions really fun (laughs) to come up with. (laughs) And hard. That's going to be some work. And hard, yeah. That's the point. Because I want us to really, like, go for it with that one, right? Because it's you know it's fun for me when the annual Rickies we're great we could grade them all the way up to December thirty first because anything can happen yeah right we get into something like 
the PR chief being replaced. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's the kind of stuff I like in the annual ones. It's very, like, it's not even really product related as such. Like, I think they're the most fun. You're like, you're trying to guess something. Like, is one of mine, I think one of mine is that Tim Cook will say metaverse, right? Now, that could happen at any point. Mm -hmm. He could be in an interview and say it. And then I have to just keep track of that. You know, I like that. That's what I like about the annual ones. I agree with all of this, but I would also exclude flexes from all of this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are yeah, separate yeah. rules yeah. now. Flexes okay. are a whole set of separate. And I would suggest that this, is, this would be your call, Stephen, that you don't need to read the annual Ricky's part as part of the regular. Mm, so it's like a yeah. AB group thing as read the correct ones. All right, so I'm working on language. That you just read what you need. All right, so yeah. picks made for event Ricky's can cannot be reused by the host who made the pick in the next event ricky episode oh i guess though for the annual ricky for the event ricky's you would uh, need... let's do the event ones first sorry, sorry okay sorry. i'm trying to we got to separate yep. them picks made for the event ricky's cannot be reused by the host who made the pick in the next event ricky episode other hosts can reuse a pick made by someone else at any time for the annual ricky's Hosts are forbidden from choosing a past pick as an as an annual pick. Once something is named as an annual pick, that host may not repick that uh, may not uh, may not reuse that pick for an event for which would, that would mean you'd probably also have to read this part anyway. I have realized that as I said it. For the for the annual Rickies, hosts are forbidden from choosing. Here's what I would say: any pick from the previous calendar year. Because what if I want to use something from 2020? Any pick they made, or is they yeah, made? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all, this is all this is all just to us. I think it's just locked to our own picks. Yeah, calendar year. When something is named as an annual pick. That host may not reuse that pick for the next year. Should I repeat? Other hosts can reuse a pick made by someone else at any time. I don't think so. That needs. I don't know. If or that could just be a it. separate line. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all hosts are allowed. Man, this is podcasting. Am I right? It's you know something this like this is, is you know, podcast typing in right Google here. Docs. This is what. Mm-hmm. This is how you know. This is how it works behind the scenes. Like, yeah. Um. Okay. All hosts are allowed to reuse a pick made by someone else at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Feel good about that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I do. All right. So we've taken care of the preamble. We've taken care of reusing picks. So that's done. Uh, now let's look at the flexies. Yeah. Once we'd, maybe we want to do this now. I would love a run, one reread of it just to make sure that there aren't any holes yeah. before we lock okay. this in. Let's do that now. Okay. So the Ricky's preamble. The Rickies is a game connected hosts play before Apple Keynotes and the beginning of a new year, trying to predict future events. It is made up of three rounds. Each host makes two regular picks, followed by a risky pick. There are two types of Rickies, annual Rickies and keynote Rickies. The winner of the annual Rickies is named the annual chairman and retains the rights to the corresponding Twitter account for the full year. This position is awarded every January. The keynote Rickies winner is named the keynote chairman and retains the rights to the corresponding Twitter account until the next keynote is held. After the Rickies, the hosts play a game called the Flexies. 
These two games have separate but related rules. <laughs> Please stand for the reading of the rules. So two things I like, love there. I love that you've mentioned that. This is very funny. Separate but related rules is funny to me. And then also like codifying the standing. Very good. Correct regular picks. This is the rules for the, the rookies, right? Yes. These, rules for the rookies. No. Yeah, rules for the rookies. Correct regular picks are awarded with one point. The language used for regular picks must be finalized and agreed upon recording, and no partial points may be awarded. Correct risky points are worth two points, but wrong ones will risky cause a picks. point. Risky picks are worth two points, not risky points. <laughs> Sorry. Correct risky... Risky points risky... are worth two picks. <laughs> yes. Correct <laughs> Correct risky picks are worth two points, but wrong ones will cause a point to be deducted from that host's total. Picks must have been approved as, quote, risky by the other two hosts before the start of the game. <laughs> Picks made for keynote rookies cannot be reused by the host who made the pick in the next keynote rookies episode. I'm going to change that. Uh, picks. You view keynote and event. For the keynote rookies cannot be reused by the host who made the pick uh, for the next keynote. Okay. Picks made for keynote rookies cannot be reused by the host who made that pick or this pick. Made the pick. Oop. Who made that picks, pick? No, who made them? Not that pick. Picks made oh, yeah, for made Kino Rikis cannot be used by the host who made them for the next keynote. For the yeah, <laughs> I like the personification of the pick. Picks made for keynote Rikis cannot be reused by the host who made them for the next keynote. For annual Rikis, hosts are forbidden from choosing any pick they made from the previous calendar year. During the previous yeah, during the previous calendar year. Once something is named as an annual pick, that host may not reuse that pick for the next year. That's that's for wordy. The current for the current calendar year. Annual picks. Because if you say in January for the next year, technically it means like twenty twenty four. Who made them for the remainder? Once something wait. No, get rid of that. Okay. Annual picks cannot be reused for the remainder of that calendar year by the host who made them. All hosts are allowed to reuse a pick made by someone else at any time. Love it. Yeah. That's that's chaos. Yeah, yeah. that's There's good. There's some good chaos yeah. in there. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There is a slight... Okay, look, again, I just feel like I need to protect against ourselves in the future. At any time, does that mean during the same event, right? All hosts are allowed to reuse a pick made by someone else at any time. Could mean I could pick Steven's same pick. During the same keynote, Ricky's. All hosts are allowed to reuse picks made by others in reuse picks from previous games. All hosts are allowed to reuse picks from previous games. All hosts are allowed to reuse picks made by others from previous games. From previous, previous games. games. From pre All, right. All hosts are allowed to reuse picks made by others from previous games. I like that. Yeah. That yep. clears that up. Yep. Good call. Yep. Just chaos. What if we all pick the exact same thing one time? <laughs> then it's just a coin flip. We could just round robin the same predictions for the whole year. See if anyone notices. Mm -hmm. Scoring is completed during recording and cannot be modified once an episode is complete. In the event of a tie, dice by PCALC must be used in relay FM mode to pick a winner. Jason Snell has a lifetime ban of flipping any coins in relation to the Rickies. 
semicolon, coin flips by Jason on other podcasts are allowed, but are frowned upon. (laughs) (laughs) I still want to say, but we judge those hosts. But we, but are frowned upon and judged (laughs) and podcast public and publicly shamed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We will know and we we will find out and we (laughs) ridicule you (laughs) coin flips by jason on other podcasts are allowed but are frowned upon and subject to public shaming yeah yes perfect (laughs) the order of picks is set by previous performance for annual rookies the keen the winner of the previous year's game goes first in the case of keynote rookies the winner of the previous game goes first in both cases the loser goes last winners will be recognized during the closing ceremonies for keynote rookies, the scoring window starts when the event begins and closes when the picks are scored. Any information used in scoring must be publicly verifiable at the time of recording. I kind of feel like the order of picks should be should be the last paragraph. Uh, I was gonna say that paragraph is maybe too long, like longer than it needs to be. Which one? The four annual rookies, the winner of the previous year game, go first. In the case of the keynote rookies, the winner of the previous game, like it's just too much. Like I don't know if we even need that. Like in order, the order of picks is set. Well, it's how we set. Well, we need by previous performance of the same type or something like that. You know, the order of picks is set by previous performance. The winner of the previous associated game, associated game goes first. Goes first, etc. The loser goes last. The previous loser goes last. Yeah, it's good to just to, to note that one in there. You know. Yeah, because losers capitalize, which is fun. (laughs) Winners will be recognized during the closing ceremonies. Love it. As a reminder, Stephen is the current annual chairman. Federico is the current keynote chairman. A Twitter handle is on the line. Past results can be seen at rookies.co and rookies.net. The former also has a page about how to manage your own scorekeeping at home. I think I would like to add to the Twitter handle is on the line part because it's way more than that now. There are trophies, you know? Let's just get rid of that, because we talked about the Twitter account earlier. We don't need to do that anymore. Okay. So we feel good about all that? I think so. We can do the flexes. This will be quick, I think, because this is a much simpler game. Okay. This is the preamble. The flexes is a game held after each edition of the rookies. It consists of a series of additional picks made in relation to the upcoming Apple event or year. Scoring is completed separately from the main game. But like the rookies, the order is pit, the order of picks is set by the results of the previous event, and ties will be broken using dice by Peacock. Please lie down as the rules are read. Please lie down. <laughs> I forgot about that. Please lie down as the rules are read. The flexi rules. Host must make a minimum of five flexi picks. Each correct pick is awarded with one point. Wrong picks do not remove any points, and no partial points may be awarded. The winner is determined by comparing the percentage of correct flexies made by each host. So this used to be like a ratio or something else. This is, I think, simpler. You just compare the percentage of correct to incorrect. Yeah, because we were doing percentages anyway. That was how we would work that out. Yeah, Yeah, we weren't really doing what the document said. While there are no Twitter handles on the line in the flexies, the winner can use their chosen title as long as they are the winner. Federico is is Prince Flexi. Mike has chosen Duke of Flexington, and Stephen is the Attorney General Flexi. Mm-hmm. Loser of the Flexies must compensate the winner of the Flexies by donating to the charity 
to a charity of the winner's choice. So a charity. The amount of the donation is $25 per wrong fucksy made by the loser. The money must be donated on air. This one is much more simple. Simple? Yeah. Very little changed here. It really was just the percentage instead of the ratio. Cool. So are we good? I think we are. I think we are. I mean, look, let's be real. Okay. We make changes to this document all the time. Yeah. But this is like a clean slate. Like, this is where we're going to... This is clearer... But we're going to change it. This is, as some developers would say, version 2022.3. Just. Just right? made it in on mm-hmm. the point three, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is uh, this is the, the current Bill of Rickies. Uh, it will be shared in our Google Doc with y'all. And then, of course, on the Bill of Rickies page over at rickies.co. Yep. And Wikipedia.net too. Wikipedia, all those places. Well, I think that does it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Connected. Uh, If you want to get in touch with feedback or follow-up, you can send us an email. There's a link there in the sidebar uh, on our show notes page. This week, you can find that at relay.fm slash connected slash 391. You can uh, can find us online. You can find Mike on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E. Mike hosts a bunch of shows here on Relay FM. Anything you want to plug? No. Mike is doing nothing. I'm taking the week off. Okay. No, I'm not is that really. true? No, it's not. But, you know. You can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. Uh, anything fun coming up over there? Uh, I'm just going to say we have a, like, we're announcing, like, this major thing on Friday. Not an April Fool's thing. We don't do those. Uh, it's, it's all real and I have my announcement all set to go uh, for Friday, and that's all I'm going to say for now. I'm just saying, that's what it sounds like someone would say if they were. No, 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 no. Going it's, it's to April really, for you, re- you know? No, no, no. It's like, it's a real thing that that, that I spent money on because we needed to build some infrastructure. So, yeah, it's it's all real. Yeah. People and, spend um, money on April Fool's jokes. No, look, <laughs> you can't believe what you want, <laughs> but this is like real You brought work. it up, you know? So. No, because some people are going to say, oh, this isn't... No, it's we're doing this thing, and I am super, super pumped. So, And you guys know what it is. So. Yeah, it's not an April Fool's joke. Unless the April Fool's joke is on me and Steven. That's right. <laughs> no, no, it's not. There's multiple people involved, so... Uh, maybe you're playing a trick on all of them. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is not some long con that I'm doing here. It it's sounds like yeah, but I mean, you have a history here. Yes. So. Yes, look, you're not my mom. I'm only pranking my mom, okay? I'm not pranking you guys or my readers, so. I'm excited for people to see that. Stay, stay tuned to Mac Stories. Thank you. You. you can find me on Twitter as ISMH. I write at 512pixels.net and uh, host uh, Mac Power Users here on Relay FM. Go check that out. What have you got coming up, Stephen? What do I have coming up? I have a Kickstarter that'll launch at some point. Like in the next week? No, not next week. All right. I have a Mac Studio coming. That's exciting. I don't know. Just regular work stuff. You see, sometimes there isn't an answer, right? Yeah, but like you always have some keyboard stream you're excited about. Yeah, or, but I you don't know. want it to just, you know, I like to just pepper them in occasionally. Otherwise, people okay. get bored of it, you know? Okay. You know, I'm just going to stop asking. And if you have something, you can just interject it. I'm never going to do oh. that. So it's one way or the other, really. I'll just ask randomly. Well, here's the thing. You always know when I've got something going on. That's so not just true. just ask me then. 
What do you? That's what? Not always true. Like what? Sometimes you have secret things. That's true. But then they're secrets, you know. If you love Connected and for some reason you want more of it, you can join Connected Pro, get a longer ad-free version of the show each and every week. There are join buttons at the top of relay.fm slash connected. Uh, thank you so much for your support to our members. It means the world to us. Also, big thanks to our sponsors, Squarespace, Capital One, and Memberful. And until next time, guys, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Bye, y'all.